0: I'm Gary and this is episode 81 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. Welcome to season four of the podcast. Before we start, I wanted to remind you that if you're listening to this, it means you're not an EV Musings patron. This means you're missing out on early access to all episodes, post-credit sequences on certain episodes and patron-only episodes such as the review of season three we released after episode 80. If you want to become an EV Musings patron, head over to patreon.com slash EV Musings and sign up. Over the next 20 episodes we'll be covering numerous topics, both old and new, and in today's show we have an EV Musings patron post credit sequence where we'll be talking about the recent announcement that the government is looking to break the ecotricity monopoly at motorway service areas. The main subject of today's episode is a discussion with Gridserve. Now note that this discussion took place several weeks prior to the recent announcement that GridServe are buying 25% of the electric highway and would be helping to substantially upgrade the electric highway offering at motorway service areas. So please bear that in mind. I
1: don't believe that putting sporadic charges around the country is a viable solution for long-term adoption.
0: That's Sam Clark.
1: So my name is Sam Clark and I'm the Chief Vehicle Officer for GridServe Sustainable Energy.
0: So what is a Chief Vehicle Officer?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I get asked that a lot. Um, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I guess my uh, my role in the business is is, is, is as the CEO, our, our great CEO, to Harper, likes to say, my, my job title is quite simply electrification of the nation. So whatever whatever it takes to get the country electrified, and obviously by association, utilizing our infrastructure, our our forecourts, and, and indeed our energy as well. Um, so so my role is is in part um, responsible for the vehicle leasing division that we opened up recently called. Um, Uh, electric vehicle solutions, GridServe electric vehicle solutions. So uh, we've built our own leasing company to help support the market. Uh, And I also um, am heavily involved in in commercial charging infrastructure as well.
0: For those of you who don't know, GridServe is a company that primarily builds and manages solar farms. In recent years, though, they've had funding from Hitachi Capital, which has allowed them to extend their reach in the vertical supply chain. Their mission is to install 100 electric forecourts across the UK. An electric forecourt is... as the name suggests, similar to an existing petrol station, but instead of petrol pumps, there are charging units. There's also shopping and relaxation facilities, meeting pods, and some other lovely little amenities. The first one opened in November in Braintree in Essex, and it's been almost universally praised by everyone who's been there. Quite rightly so, it's a fantastic venue. We'll look in a little more depth at the Braintree site in a short while, but first I want you to find out from Sam what was the rationale to taking that particular strategy? After all, if you go back and listen to the CPO episode from last season, episode 69, link in the show notes, you will realise that almost without exception, every other charge point operator has taken the route of finding a plot of land and sticking a limited number of chargers on there, usually one or two depending on the electricity supply, and calling it done. Sure, there are exceptions. BP Pulse has a charging hub at Milton Keynes. Osprey Charging has the hub at Stratford. InstaVault have opened a couple of hubs recently in Necton and Banbury. But they're almost always just a row of units with no facilities. Why did GridServe choose a completely different strategy? And
1: I have listened to your, your previous podcasts on this and, and, and listened intently to the other, the other um, charge point operators' view on, on the strategy going forward. Um, ours is very different to theirs, and and I think for good reason. Um, and and for a number of reasons. So first and foremost, you know, we don't have a legacy of an old infrastructure to deal with. You know, we are we are in the fortunate position of having a blank canvas. Um and and therefore we can decide what infrastructure we think should go where without having to perhaps what some of the um the oil companies might have to do is, is try to retrofit or, or or indeed improve upon the infrastructure that they've purchased or act you know, gone through acquisition to to acquire over the last few years, which you know has legacy attributed to it, and and I, you know I support them in the sense that they are doing great work in trying to increase and improve the infrastructure in the country. But I don't believe that putting sporadic charges around the country is a viable solution for long term adoption. I just I just simply don't, and that's born out of my own personal experience and nothing else. You know, so you asked me at the beginning what you know what vehicles I had and why, and one of the reasons why I was very keen to to get hold of a tesla as soon as i could was, was because of not just the vehicle is great but also the infrastructure that supports that with with the 40 or 50 locations around the country with multiple chargers per location meant that i could within reason get anywhere in the country without too much consideration of where the locations were because the range was was supportive and and the and the infrastructure meant that i was able to to charge pretty much every time i ever turned up at a tesla supercharger that's great if you've got a Tesla. It's no good if you've got anything else. Um, and as the uptake of EVs continues to grow, having sporadic chargers, maybe two or three dotted around the place, is going to be a hindrance, not a help, in my opinion, because there'll be so many people wanting to, even if it worked 100% of the time, and, and as we know through through details from ZapMap, that, that indeed isn't the case, but even if reliability was at 100%, they will be oversubscribed at the points and the times when you need to use them. And there's nothing more frustrating than turning up to a working charger than having to wait 40 minutes for somebody else to finish their charge before you can even plug in. You know, that is what's going to happen if we've got lots of chargers dotted around the place. Some won't, won't be used at all and some will be so oversubscribed you know, that they'll be, they'll be ignored by people who, who know that they're there because they know they won't be able to access them. So I do think that having high powered um, locations like ours where we've got battery storage and we've got sleeved solar and we've got 36 chargers, all at a very high power provides that sort of um, comfort that a petrol station or service station does today, where you wouldn't blink at filling up a, a petrol alert, a petrol station. There's always going to be a pump available. You very rarely have to wait. And and, and they are strategically placed in places where you want them to be. Um, and I feel very strongly that that is the strategy. And that's one of the reasons why I joined GridSurf was because I bought in very much from personal experience into that level of infrastructure and that, that way of doing it.
0: What surprised me, and just about everybody who's visited the electric forecourts, is the pricing strategy. All high power charging is at 24 pence a kilowatt hour. In the big scheme of things, that sits very nicely towards the lower end of overall charging tariffs, and very, very low on the scale of high power charging tariffs, which can vary from 36 pence a kilowatt hour through 42 pence a kilowatt hour, right up up to a staggering 69 pence a kilowatt hour for the Ionity chargers, Used on an ad hoc basis. Effectively, the GridServe rate is pegged at the same rate Tesla levy for their supercharging. Naturally, I had questions about this. If companies such as BP Pulse charge 42 pence a kilowatt hour for their high power charging at 150 kilowatts, how can GridServe charge 24 pence a kilowatt hour for higher charge speeds and still make money?
1: The comparator between the, the the price point that the other operators that you've interviewed, you know, will will talk about in terms of where they think it needs to sit and where we think it needs to sit, you know, is different for, for a fundamental reason, and, and, or, or many reasons. But but one is um, that GridServe as a business is not just a charge point operator. You know, the electric forecourt. Is not just um, selling energy so Grids have a a number of revenue stats attributed to to each electric forecourt so we 've got um, the ability to trade um, our uh, five megawatt sorry six megawatt hour battery uh, with the grid you know with the ability to to have a five megawatt grid connection we 've got a retail outlet we 've got charging uh, we 've got showcase space we 've got vehicle leasing we 've got a number and that 's just to name a few booking meeting pods we've got we 've got so many Different other revenue streams that support the overall infrastructure. That the charging cost, the the twenty four pence a kilowatt hour as it stands, is just one revenue stream. Whereas perhaps for some of the some of the other chargement operators, it is the only revenue stream at that particular location, and that makes the business case for them very challenging. Because as we all know, it costs a great deal of money to put these high power charges into the ground anywhere. Um, so, so our business model is, you know, is vastly different, and you can you can see that just by looking at the place that there are there is a number of other other business units that are, are running concurrently, which help us with that. Um, furthermore, you know, forty four miles down the road from Braintree, we own our own solar farm. You know, that's got a hundred megawatts of of solar PV. Uh, it generates enough energy to, to for two and a half thousand homes. Um, and uh, and we'll save over you know, somewhere in the region of four and a half thousand tons of, of carbon annually so we've got a we've got a fantastic solar farm which is also supporting the the infrastructure that's in the ground um, so it's very important that we have all of
0: these different revenue streams to make the business case stack up so is the 24 pence a kilowatt hour price just an introductory offer and it's going to go higher um, now, 24 pence
1: a kilowatt hour might not be where we settle forever. It may, it will almost
0: certainly be the case that we we start to
1: introduce membership models at some point in the future. Um, I'm not quite sure when that will be yet, but um, yeah, and, and that will be akin probably to some of the um, the existing um, membership schemes that are already, already out there in the marketplace. But we feel very strongly that, that we need to keep that price point as low as we possibly can to, to continually increase the
0: uptake of EVs. I spent time with the site manager for the Braintree location and he mentioned that one way they keep the prices low, as Sam has already alluded to, is that they have business partners on site such as Booth's, Costa and the post office. I asked what the nature of that relationship was.
1: <laughs> Again, in the, in the similar ilk, you know, we're obviously not going to divulge exactly what our commercial strategy is with our, with our retail partners in terms of how that is broken down. But but certainly, yes, we, we have a very close relationship with our our friends from from WH Smith, um, and so we're able to provide a number of different solutions downstairs, um, including the WH Smith as well as as Booths and Gourmet and uh, Raw Mail and Costa. Uh, so we've got enough number of different um, revenue streams downstairs as well with all the usual amenities you might like to expect, and and of course we've got um we've got relevant commercial relationships to to ensure that we. Uh, we make a margin off off the work that goes on downstairs as well.
0: So that brought me onto the topic of how much the place cost to build. I wanted to know how much Gridserve had spent on the electric forecourt. Sam obviously was reluctant to tell me the exact costs.
1: Um, no, I mean, I think I think you know that that starts to fall into the whole business case and the and the and the costs of the business generally. So. Um, you know, we, we are working very closely with ABB, who are our hardware uh, provider. Um, so um, I'm sure their costs are, are, are visible um, elsewhere. But, um, but yeah, that, that, you know, the, the, the overall cost of the business is something we obviously keep, keep in-house.
0: With a bit of research on the internet, I uncovered the following. An ABB Terra HPC charging post, of which there are 24 at the site, costs around €25,000. But in order to make it work, you also need it linked into a power cabinet. These are 50,000 euros each. For 175 kilowatt charging, you need one cabinet. For 350 kilowatt charging, you need two. On top of that, there are the costs of the Tesla supercharger units, the solar canopy, the AC posts. Rough back of the envelope mass indicates the cost of the units alone will be somewhere in the region of half a million euros, with a further, you know, 600,000 euros for the power cabinets. I know from attending the site that one power cabinet provides 175 kilowatts power output. Two cabinets can be installed with one station and they can deliver two lots of 175 kilowatts for two separate cars or one lot of 350 kilowatts for one car. Warren Phillips of EVA England was there on a unit which was linked up with the unit Robert Llewellyn was using for charging his Porsche Taycan and he was asked to stop charging to allow the Taycan to get the full charge on the 350 kilowatt unit. The figure starts to become very eye-opening when you talk about the cost of the land, the cost of building the superb facilities there, and all the underlying cabling and electric management systems. We've already talked about how Gridserve plans to finance the electric forecourts. For those of you who were paying attention, you will have heard Sam talk about leasing cars,
1: yeah, sure. So I think as a business, again, going back to the whole revenue streams, you know, um, and also um, our partners uh, and our shareholders, or part shareholders, um, uh, Hitachi Capital, you know, we that provides us with an, an enormous opportunity to be able to provide customers with vehicles as well as charging. So what we're what we're working very closely with them on, and we launched um, at the end of 2020 was our leasing package. Um, which was, is evolving all the time, but certainly will um, uh, provide a, the entire suite of electric vehicles um, that are currently available on the roads today. You will be able to lease them through GridServe, um, and there will be a, um, a number of different energy packages that go with that. At the moment, um, the leasing is such that um, if you lease a vehicle with us, then you have access to the, the GridServe electric forecourt whenever you wish, um, because there's a certain amount of energy which is apportioned into the lease, um, which, which is great. Uh, but we're also looking now at doing a package which which allows us to to go a little bit further afield, so that we're able to support um, uh, customers from much further afield in the UK um, whilst there isn't an electric forecourt on the doorstep just yet.
0: So this means you drive onto the electric forecourt in your fossil fuel powered diesel BMW, buy a Costa at the store, pop upstairs and speak to an assistant and they'll put together a lease deal for an EV of your own, potentially using charging at the Braintree site or others when they come online. And this is a superb strategy. Anything to get bums on seats in an EV is always welcome. So let's take a closer look at Braintree itself. What's there in terms of actual charges?
1: Yeah, so um, I can just give you a bit of a, an overview of, of what we've got on site, I suppose. So um, we have 36 chargers on site, six of which are Tesla superchargers, which are up to 250 kilowatts. Um, we have a further six AC charges, which are up to 22 kilowatts uh, on a on a three-phase supply. So that will um, allow certain vehicles or more, um, I try and not use the word older vehicles, but uh, dated vehicles, perhaps. Um, anyway, the vehicles, the Renault Zoes, for example, the 10,000 Renault Zoes out there that don't have DC charging or some of the older Tesla models that... That, um, that haven't been yet converted to CCS. So, so we've got six, uh, and indeed people that might be staying on site for much longer than a, than a short period that are here for a meeting or two, for example. So we've got, we've got a set of six AC chargers to support those sort of scenarios, and then the big ticket stuff under our solar canopy are the twelve high power DC chargers. Sorry, twenty four, I should say, um, twelve of which are uh, up to ninety kilowatts and and have a Chademo or CCS connector. And then another 12, which are up to 350 kilowatts with a CCS connection. So we've really got something for everybody.
0: What Sam doesn't mention here is that the whole site is designed for people to want to stay there. When the weather improves, there's external seating with picnic tables, dog exercising areas. Inside, there's free Wi-Fi, comfortable seats upstairs. If you're there for a business meeting, there are pods you can hire with presentation facilities and desks. They charge the pods at £16 an hour, and all bookings are done online. The rooms are open using a code sent to your phone. It's a very pleasant place to set, to stay, especially with the coffee and the retail facilities downstairs. Now, with another 99 of these planned, is the intention to have the same basic format everywhere?
1: Yeah, I think the, the overall strategy is that all of the sites will be as modular as we can possibly make them. So they will be very similar. won't necessarily be identical and and the layout of the of the forecourt itself for for instance may well be different based on the uh on the landscape um on each each individual site um similarly you know the the, there's a number of different options in terms of what partners we have in in different parts of the country we may decide that um different retail um, options that we don't have at, at, at at Braintree will be required at other sites around the country that are closer to certain other uh, other uh, other services, for example. So I think the mix will, the, the, the intention is very much to to replicate what we've created at Braintree. But I've, of course, and I have no doubt, there will be some nuances that mean that there might be certain, there might be different retailers, there might be different layout, might be different number of chargers. Uh, the, the battery storage on site may well be different. Uh, and indeed, on some of our sites, we're looking at building uh, solar farms adjacent to the to the forecourt itself, so that we're able to uh, to direct private wire or energy from the from the sun straight into the into the uh, batteries on site, and then subsequently into the vehicles. So, so yes, they they'll all run they're all run roughly in in the same format, but that I'm, I'm I'm sure there'll be uh, there'll be differences to each one.
0: Naturally, uh, I wanted to know just how busy it's been. Uh, are they using the charges? Is, are they queues or what?
1: Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, we've had, we, we, obviously with something as, as, as early and, and new as this, we didn't necessarily know what the utilisation was going to be, but we're, we're exceeding our targets uh, quite comfortably. Um, and even though at the moment, obviously, the, uh, the requirement has gone down quite dramatically due to the current lockdown that we, we're in, but um, we're still seeing a steady, steady stream of people coming through. Um, so yeah, we've been really, really delighted to, 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 see people coming from far and wide. Um, there's been a you know, huge amount of Teslas, obviously, cause we're now on the Tesla map as well. Um, we've seen, I, I've never seen so many Porsche take in my life. I think, I think they're just very, very keen to come and, um, try and exploit the 350 kilowatt chargers, um, and charge their, their Porsches as fast as they, they possibly can, which I think from memory is about 270 kilowatts. So, um, so yeah, we've seen a huge amount of, um, a variance in terms of vehicles. I think I've seen pretty much every type of electric vehicle on the road today has, has been to site at some point in the last month or two.
0: Could you share official figures?
1: Yeah, we've had the, yeah I think probably, oh, let me think. I mean, I don't know. Again, we're not necessarily going to be divulging our utilisation figures at this early stage, but um, I can think of days when I've been there where we've, we've seen at least, um, I've certainly seen the Tesla bank full, um, and I would have thought probably The busiest that I've seen it in the few days that I've been there is is probably um, something in the region of 10 or 12 vehicles on charge on our our network, as well as the Teslas being used at the same time. So I think I've seen days where where we're up to sort of 16, 17 of the chargers being used simultaneously out of the 36.
0: As you'll know if you've listened to my previous discussions about charging, the questions I always ask are very simple. Why do you have the tariffs you do? Why do you put the number of chargers in that you do? And what's your service level agreement for repairing broken or unusable units? Obviously with GridServe, the answers to the first two questions are easy and have already been answered. So I asked Sam about the third.
1: We're very early, very new. So we're still learning as we go along with certain vehicles. Of course, there's a few challenges in terms of their, their communication with our chargers. So, you know, we're not, we're not alone in terms of some of the technical challenges, but what we do have is is choice. So if we are struggling with a charger, then a customer can within seconds move to another one. Um, when, when you're in the uh, the middle of nowhere at the back of a hotel and it's not working, you can't just move on to the next one. You have to suddenly try and work out whether you can make it to the next one because it's probably ten or fifteen, twenty miles away. You know, we we don't want that sort of um, reputation in the market to start to to gather pace. One thing we're we're often having to educate people going back to the education piece is you know charging an electric vehicle is incredibly complicated. It might seem simple by plugging it in and and it starts to charge, but the the handshakes, the communications to various servers to to contact the devices to to the hardware to the power units to the to the to the switch gears, to the you know to the uh, to, to the RFID cards, all of the you know, and many other bits of communication. It's it's doing an incredibly complicated piece of operation in a split second in order to try and, with the best intentions, to make it so that you don't notice any of it as a consumer. Um, and inevitably, you know, when there's so many um, links in the chain, um, occasionally one breaks and then the whole thing falls over because if one, if one link in the chain breaks, then then the car simply won't charge from a safety perspective. So so yes, we, we do have, obviously we have challenges. We've got a number of charges on site. So we have had things that have failed or faulted, you know, that we've had to either update through, through software updates or firmware updates. or we've had to uh, physically replace hardware within units. Um, we've had to keep you know close tabs on our, our contactless payment device and the way in which we authorize and pre-authorize and reauthorize people's payments, etc. So, There's all sorts of different pieces of of the puzzle going on at the same time to try and make it as swift and as clean and as efficient as possible for for the user. Um, And we're on a journey like everybody else to try and make sure that our reliability is as good as it can be. Um, But as I say, again, you know, one thing we do have in our favour is choice uh, and the ability to, to always keep someone on the road by virtue of always having a charging solution. Um, even if there was a catastrophic power cut we've still got a we've still got 6 megawatts of battery um to support us so so we're very much um are comfortable in the fact that whilst we like everybody else we have reliability issues we do at least have the ability to be able to keep people on the road by by virtue of of number of chargers per location we have um, either a general manager or assistant general manager on site at all times. We've got a, we've got a, uh, they've got a team below them called uh, the GridServe Serve Gurus, um, who are able to support the customer um, from the technical perspective. They're not technical in the sense of being able to repair chargers. That's something that needs to be done by by our partners. Um, but they're certain that their primary focus is to ensure the customer's happy and, and that they're able to to get the car charged, you know, whichever way possible with whichever charger is available to do that. Um, so we've got staff on site to deal with with the customer challenges if there are any in terms of any connectivity issues, and then from a more technical perspective, yes, of course we've got we've got standard procedures with with all of our all of our different partners to to ensure that if there is an issue, um, then it's it's remedied and rectified in a, in as short a time period as possible.
0: If like me you've done the rollout maths, you'll realise that with a hundred planned between now and twenty twenty five, they'll need to be opening one every four or five weeks, since the first one was opened in November. There's been very little obvious movement on the other sites. Mid-Sussex County Council recently approved the second site at Uckfield in Sussex. So what exactly is the rollout plan? So the plan is to have
1: um, somewhere between five and seven sites built this year. Um, I think a couple of them are currently public knowledge, which I believe is Norwich and Uxbridge. Um, But we've got a number of different sites as well, which will um, soon be announced for this year. Um, And the long-term strategy um, is very much to produce 100 sites around the country within the next five years. So obviously, we're, we're looking to do far, anywhere between five and seven this year. Uh, we spent a long time building the first one, I might add, and, and for very good reason, um, some some of which were extenu- extenuating circumstances such as the pandemic, but others were the fact that we needed to get it right. Um, and we put an awful lot of effort into getting it right because it's the first one. Um, we'll now wrap that up through this year and speed that process up. Um, so actually, your, your maths... Um, works uh, even worse in our favor, really, in terms of the fact that we'll we'll deliver five to seven of those sites this year, and therefore that pushes the average up for the next four years uh, to even higher than that. But but by that by the end of this year, we will have a a very very um, robust process for for delivering these concurrently um, and at the at the rate which which enables us to reach that target. So we will definitely be rather than putting all of our efforts into building one forecourt uh, will be doing you know multiple sites at the same time in order to reach that timeline.
0: You may have realised in this discussion that Sam's not a big proponent of the single charger at the back of a hotel strategy that some other charge point operators have followed.
1: When, when you're in the uh, the middle of nowhere at the back of a hotel and it's not working, you can't just move on to the next one. You have to suddenly try and work out whether you can make it to the next one because it's probably 10 or 15, 20 miles away. You know, we, we don't want that sort of um, reputation in the market to start to, to gather pace. You know, we, we need people to feel like this is a reasonable and practical way of charging, not something which is a really, really difficult thing to do.
0: That's an obvious dig at companies such as BP Pulse. There's no love lost between Sam and BP Pulse, as the Twitter interactions between him and Tom Callow will attest. Each is adamant their way is correct, and each is adamant the other is incorrect. It has to be said, though, that the animosity displayed appears to be business-focused rather than personal. I think they both respect each other on a personal level. Despite this, the one thing a charge around the back of a hotel has going for it is that it's a lot cheaper to install in a remote charging wasteland such as Mid Wales. In fact, the BP pulse charger installed in Llandrindod Wells is at the Metropole Hotel and Spa. When you're looking at a huge installation such as an electric forecourt, you're not going to be looking at Mid Wales or Northumberland in the same way, right? As you say, you know, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's economics here. It's, it's, it's commercial viability that we, we all as businesses have to have to look at. And if it's completely an uneconomically, an uneconomically viable to put six or 12 DC charges in a very rural area where we don't think we're gonna get the utilization, then it just simply doesn't make business case.
0: But what GridServe are looking at is the ability to put in a smaller hub destinations
1: yeah even internally we're still looking at how to develop that strategy but certainly we're looking at locations that won't have you know the retail outlet and won't have the number of charges and may or may not have battery storage Um, i think largely they will probably be akin to what we've seen already with some of the larger dc hubs um, you know the sort of five or six charges in certain places i think um, they'll probably largely look similar to that, uh, whereby um, you'll be able to get a meaningful charge in a short period of time, but you won't get all of the other amenities that one of the one of the bigger electric forecourts would provide.
0: This is an interesting strategy. If they play it well, it means they'll have 100 electric forecourts dotted around, around the country. There are very few official announcements about where these will be, but rumours of places such as Plymouth, Eton, York, Dover, Leeds, Gateshead and Stevenage have been raised. But the smaller hubs which in reality could be bigger than most other hubs currently installed in the UK, might be positioned anywhere else on the road, on the UK road network. And no, Northern Ireland, there doesn't seem to be any love for you here either. What I particularly like about these hubs is that they're inclusive. Sam says they get quite a lot of footfall from non-EV people.
1: Yes, and that's, that's been really good fun, actually, because um, I think we've, we've had a real mix of people that have come through the doors. And, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, we've, we fully welcome uh, non-EV drivers uh, for, for a number of reasons. One, because those people are going to be EV drivers in the future. It's um, just a case of when. So if we're able to provide them with the comfort and the understanding and the education and the, and the, and the feel good factor of being in a site like ours, um, and that enables them to make that transition that little bit quicker. Uh, then that's just great for, for the overall market. So um, we, we absolutely welcome the uh, the ICE drivers, the internal, internal combustion engine drivers, into the forecourt.
0: So my final question to Sam was, what would you do if he was king for a day?
1: I think if I was king for a day, um, I'm obviously very pleased to hear the the, the recent announcement from government of the ban of petrol and diesel in in, in 2030. Um, I'm not suggesting for a second we should do it tomorrow because that would be impractical. Um, there has to be a transition and I think nine years from now is perfectly acceptable. Um, what I would love to have done is to have um, removed or or, or placed um, hybrids in the same time frame rather than them having to having to, getting, getting a few more years um, after 2030. So if I was King for a day I would remove um, I would have put um, hybrids in with petrol and diesel in 2030. Um, and I would also ban the phrase um, "self-charging uh, hybrid" as well, yeah. which which boils my blood. So, um, uh, yeah, if I had, yeah if I was king for a day, that would, um, I would probably pick on hybrid, and, and they were the two things I would pick on.
0: So to summarise, Gridserve have positioned themselves as the EV owner's champion: multiple units, multiple locations, redundancy built in, excellent facilities, and a really competitive price. The first location is a fantastic one, although detractors have noted that it's not exactly in an area with high passing traffic. When BP Pulse launched their Milton Keynes hub, they at least put it within a minute or two drive from the M1. The Braintree electric forecourt is a good 15 miles from the nearest motorway, 13 miles from the centre of Chelmsford, which is the next biggest town, and nine miles from the A12, which is the nearest major A road in the area. But by their own admission, They're meeting their utilisation targets, which is not surprising because the facilities are so good, people are coming from literally 100 miles away to use it. Yeah, that's me. If every electric forecourt meets the standard of Braintree, and if they can roll them out on a regular basis while keeping the price at 24 pence a kilowatt hour, these will be an amazing addition to the charging infrastructure in the UK. Thanks to Sam for his time. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. Rolls-Royce is one step closer to an electric plane. No, this isn't the Rolls-Royce that makes these slightly archaic but beautifully made expensive limousines. This is Rolls-Royce, the aero engine manufacturer. Their engines power everything from the A380 Airbus to the Eurofighter to... certain nuclear submarines. Okay. They've designed an electric aircraft called the Spirit of Innovation and it recently completed taxi tests the spirit of innovation is designed to try and take the world's speed record for an electric plane. But the programme is about more than just setting speed records and gaining bragging rights. The kind of power needed to accelerate an electric aircraft up to over 300 miles per hour is very similar to the power that will be needed for future electric taxi aircraft. While the spirit of innovation will be using all of that energy going forward and being lifted by fixed wings, air taxis will use that power to lift themselves off the ground vertically, and then change to forward flight to get where they're going, and then land safely. We like electric aviation on this channel, so that's an encouraging thing to see. And that's the show for today. hope you enjoyed listening to it. All Access and VIP patrons, please stay tuned for some post-credits goodness, where we're talking about the motorway service area charging monopoly. If you want to contact me, please use the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV, or I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast and the newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks, as always, to my co-founder, Simon. You know, he's glued to his phone pretty much 24-7, so he's always scared of running out of power. I asked him what he did to make sure he could always get a boost, and he told me he'd completely rewind his house with USB charge sockets in every room. It was better than the alternative. Having
1: sporadic chargers, maybe two or three, dotted around the place is going to be a hindrance,
0: not a help.